if you have the arrogance of a god and can kill like a god. Who's to say that you're not a god? Winsky Perorate. Welcome, humble adventurers, to my realm of knowledge and mystery. Here, in my cursed library, are endless tomes and scrolls on the darkest and evilest foes in all the realms. Be they from Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, the many worlds of darkness, or any realm in between. Welcome to the dastardly decimal system. I'm your caretaker of the corrupt, the librarian, Castor Kane. In my travels and scrying across the multiverse, I've seen many cities on many worlds. Each city is as varied and different as the one before it, yet many of them share similarities. If your city is large enough, you will hold the hope of a kingdom within your walls. Cities are the symbols of wealth, prosperity, and power. And yet, where there is power, there is always the greedy and the evil who covet it. Every city has its own share of trials and tribulations. But in each world, there always seems to be that one city that attracts more chaos than the others. The city-state of Nibonay, the free city of Greyhawk, the towers of Sharn, and the polis of Akros. Just to name a few. But one city, above all others, seemed to become the center of attention time and time again. That city is Baldur's Gate. For whatever reason, evil flocks to Baldur's Gate. Some try to control the city, Others use it as a foothold to Avernus, and others still, like the vampire king Mordok Salamare, call it home. Every few years, interest in the city grows, be it from heroes, villains, or lore masters like myself. And as I watch the winds shift, it looks like interest in Baldur's Gate has returned yet again. Take a seat as I brew us up some tea. I am using a blend of black tea, natural vanilla, peppermint, and snowbud. This is a low-caffeine blend known to act as a calming beverage. It is also known as Baldur's Tea. So let me pour you a cup as we talk about the ball spawn known as Saravok and Chev. Saravok Anchev was a monstrous human male, standing well over seven feet tall. He had purple tattoos across his body, and when angered, his eyes would glow a sinister shade of yellow. He wore a set of spike full plate armor made from a darkened steel. His helm is shaped like a skull with jagged teeth in the place of his visors, fashioning his frightful image after an avatar of Baal. His magical armor protected him from most arcane elements and his gauntlet could store the spells of a wizard within it, allowing him to cast them at his whim. His weapon of choice was the Sword of Chaos, a magical greatsword that could drain the life of any foe he hit and transfer it to him, healing him in the process. Saravok spent years training in the magical and martial arts. He was a powerful warrior with enough strength to wield a greatsword in just one hand. He was a deathbringer, a cabal of warriors who excelled in war and intimidation. They had the ability to slay foes with but a single look. He was also a shrewd manipulator and deceiver, twisting the mind of his foes and even his allies to fulfill his wishes. Saravok was also a cunning man. He had spent years studying in the great Candlekeep library, intent on putting his intellect on par with his strength. 
Seraphok was not a man without emotion. He has loved twice, and is capable of compassion, but do not mistake this for weakness. His power and will to murder was unmatched in his time, and surpassed by only a rare few in ours. I have studied the deaths of many gods across many worlds. These deities, good or bad, always seem to shatter or shift their worlds when they pass. The major difference between the two is that the evil gods rarely stay dead for long. They always seem to have a plan in which to return. When Baal, the god of murder, heard of his inevitable passing, he formulated a plan to return himself to life. It began by spreading his essence across the land. Any child born with a fraction of his essence was born as a ball spawn, a child of ball. One cannot talk about Saravok and Chev without looking at his birthright. Ball spawn were mostly normal mortals. They lived their lives as normal children until their spark awoke with puberty, sometimes granting them supernatural powers and often tempting them towards murder and evil. As the kids turned to adults, Many accepted the path of darkness and greed, but just as many fought against it, overcoming evil and picking a far nobler path. If everything had gone according to the plan, the ball spawn would slay one another, combining the essence of the fallen into their own, until only one remained. That spawn, now holding all of Ball's essence, would be sacrificed, and Ball would return to life once more. There was, however, an unintended side effect. Every Ballspawn's soul contained a fraction of Ball's godly spark. This meant under the right circumstance, any of his children had the potential to replace him as a god. That was the path that Saravok chose. Saravok's mother was a priestess of Baal, and high-ranking his Zintarum agent. She was a skilled infiltrator, and often used her sexuality as a tool. She returned from a mission to find herself pregnant from a honeypot encounter. She raised her child for several years, until the blessing of her son was discovered. A group of Baal cultists got it into their head that if they sacrificed to the Baal spawn, that they could please their dead lord and return him to the world sooner. They kidnapped Saravok and killed his mother. Deep in the Forest of Worms, located in their hidden temple, the cultists began their ritual to sacrifice Saravok alongside of his half-brothers and half-sisters. Thankfully, a group of harpers assaulted the event, and Saravok escaped in the chaos. The harpers rescued the rest of the children. Those with living guardians were returned to them, and those without were adopted. Saravok, however, was left alone. He grew up an urchin in the streets until his pickpocketing ways were caught by an assassin known as Richtar. Seeing potential in the kid, he adopted him and began his learning. Richtar was a member of the Iron Throne. Now to most people, the Iron Throne was just a merchant guild 
that sold weapons and had minor political aspirations. But in truth, they were a criminal organization that would cut out competition with banditry, assassination, smuggling, and political manipulations. Richtar wanted little else but to grow in both power within the guild and outside of it, and he intended to let nothing stand in his way, even his wife. Saravok was close to his adopted mother. He found guidance in her word and teachings, and despite her connection to the Iron Throne, a kindness that existed within her. There were so many parallels between her and his biological mother. Each was part of an evil, greedy organization. Each still had a kindness that resonated within. His adoptive mother saw the turmoil that existed within the boy's mind, and encouraged him to find some sort of calm, regardless if it did not match the path set out by either of his fathers. Richtar disagreed and violently proved that fact by strangling his wife with a garrote right before Saravok's eyes. He would have Saravok's loyalty, one way or another. As Saravok grew older, he found his ball spawn abilities began to manifest. Like all ball spawn, Saravak started to have vivid dreams of destruction, mayhem, and murder that were accompanied by subtle messages from the deceased ball. As a confused child with no one to turn to, he found himself standing before the church of Ball. As he nervously approached the priest, desperate for answers and guidance, he sadly found no reprieve to his confusion. The priest was unable to help, and Saravok simply broke. It was hard enough being a boy on the cusp of manhood without the added confusion of divine intervention. He had labored to find the inner strength needed to seek help, pitting all of his hopes and mental well-being into this priest's answer. But when he found none, he found himself alone and in utter darkness. As he stood there, seemingly alone in the abyss of depression, he heard a single voice calling out, guiding him to the one rightful path. Murder. Saravok brutally slayed the priest, leaving him in countless pieces. At that moment, for however brief it was, Saravak suddenly found peace. His normally restless body and chaotic mind became tranquil. There was a simple truth in murder, and a swell of righteousness that came with it. He had finally found his calm. Saravok began his true training. While he worked tirelessly becoming a skilled and brutal fighter, Richtar continued his mental teachings. As his adoptive father wanted him to be as cunning as he was strong, knowing that he would be a powerful asset to the Iron Throne. When Saravok was a man, he and his father traveled to Baldur's Gate. Richtar was looking to vastly expand the reach of the Iron Throne and his standing within it. It was there that Saravok met the two most important people of his life. The first was Tamoko, 
a deadly woman from the far east. She was a ninja fleeing from her clan and working as an assassin for coin. She was a deadly sneak, able to cast foreign magic as she hid in the shadows. When she met Saravok, she gave up her coin for higher ways and began to follow him. The two warriors were deeply in love, and the tender moments he spent with her was the only other source of calm he could achieve. The second was Winsky Perorate, a wizard who acted as Saravok's mentor. He taught the ball spawn dark rituals and showed him the prophecy of Aluando. The Lord of Murder shall perish, but in his doom he shall spawn a score of mortal progeny. Chaos will be sown from their passing. So saith the wise Aluando. While the prophecy was viewed in many ways by many different people, Saravok thought it was about himself. He deduced that as the child of Baal, he could replace his father and become the new Lord of Murder. All that was required to spark his ascension was a great enough slaughter in Baal's name. In a weird sense of divine irony, Tamako and Whiskey became the opposite end of Saravok's coin of destiny. Whiskey encouraged the ball spawn forward, showing him darker magic to aid in his ascension. He knew that Saravok's ascension would leave him as one of the many dead, but only cared that his name would live eternally alongside the new Lord of Murder. Tamoko, however, tried to pull Saravok away from the ascension. She did this not for any moral reason. She was as evil as he was, but instead she did this for reasons of love. She had seen Saravok become more and more obsessed with his bid for godhood, and knew that she was losing him. He was her soulmate, her one true love, and she just wanted to spend the rest of their days together, killing people. The couple that slays together stays together. But with each passing day and scheme, he slipped further and further away. Each side of the coin offered Saravok the calm he so eagerly chased. But which would be his final choice, murder or love? When Richtar expanded the Iron Throne to the Sword Coast, he did so with the intention of making a great amount of coin, political connections, and power. His first step was to claim the Cloakwood Mind. Once they had dominance and ownership of the mine, they began creating an artificial iron shortage. First, he got his wizards to magically sabotage the Nashkel Mine the arcane weavings causing all iron within the mine to crumble into dirt. Then he hired the military band of goblinoids known as the Chill and the Black Talon Mercenary Company to act as bandits, hunting down and robbing any iron shipment coming from outside the region. With all trade and iron production disrupted, this put the citizens of Baldur's Gate on edge. 
They were without iron, and they were without new weapons. They blamed the nearby nation of Om, an act that came to the brink of war between them and Baldur's Gate. This would be known as the Iron Crisis. Richtar's plan was for the Iron Throne to act as a savior, using their cloakwood mine to provide much-needed iron. They would then dominate the iron trade, become the sole source of weaponry for Baldur's Gate, and emerge as a dominant political force within the region. Richtar's plans heavily involved his son Saravok, the child he had raised to be fiercely loyal to both him and the Iron Throne. Problem was, Saravok was far from loyal. He cared little for the Iron Throne and loathed his father. He never forgave the man for murdering his adoptive mother. Richtar's plans was to push the two kingdoms to the brink of war, only to bring them back just in the nick of time. Saravok, however, had no plans of stopping the war. In fact, he needed it. A war would kill millions, and it would act as the ultimate sacrifice and would spark his ascension into godhood. The people of Faerun are lucky that they live in a world of balance. For every vile villain that existed solely to cause chaos and murder, there was a hero who only wished to stop them. For Saravok, that hero's name was Abdel Adrian. As a child, Abdel had stood beside Saravok in the Forest of Worms, scared and worried that he was about to be sacrificed. Abdel Adrian was also a ballspawn. This made him Saravok's half-brother. On that fateful day, decades ago, when the Harpers descended upon the ritual and rescued the children, Abdel was adopted by the Harper known as Gorion. Abdel was raised in Candlekeep Library until the day Saravok came to power. It started with the Black Talons invading the fortress and attacking. Saravok had learned of his ball spawn brother and knew he had to slay him. Another ball spawn meant competition and nobody would take his place as the new Lord of Murder. Learning his son was in danger, Gorion swiftly returned to Candlekeep. Father and son were briefly united until Saravok struck. As Tamakov distracted Abdel with flaming arrows, Saravok ran his greatsword through the wizard's body, slaying him in front of Abdel's eyes. With a sinister laugh, Saravok retreated to Baldur's Gate. Abdel followed, swearing vengeance. Saravok returned to Baldur's Gate to learn that his foes had grown in number. Not only was his brother getting involved in his lesser schemes, dismantling the Chill and the Black Talons and flooding the Cloakwood Mines, but the Iron Throne were now acting against him as well. They had learned of his true desires and sought to stop him. His own father traveled to the Kingdom of Om in order to perform backroom deals in order to stop the war. But Saravok cared little. Instead, he continued to build his favor within the city. He continued to lend his blade to the city's defense. To the populace of Baldur's Gate, he was a hero, a protector of the people, and someone they could follow. When Grand Duke Elton Silvershield fell ill, Saravok was nominated as his replacement, and the people cheered.
In truth, this was no accident. Saravok hired an assassin known as Slythe to kill Duchess Leah Janeth, Duke Belt, and Duke Elton all by means of poison. Weak from the attack, Duke Elton was unable to properly announce his successor. Angelo Dawson, a corrupt, power-hungry officer of the Flaming Fist, manipulated the proceedings to nominate Saravok. As his bid for Grand Duke grew, so too did the distance between him and Tamako. Over and over she tried to influence Saravok away from the dukedom and away from godhood. She was losing him, and there was little she could do about it on her own. Left without any choice, she appeared before Abdel. She warned him about Saravok's coronation and the damage he would cause with the flaming fist under his command. She gave the hero the evidence he needed under two conditions. The first, once they stopped him from becoming the Grand Duke, they had to spare his life and attempt to redeem him. And the second, they had to kill the sorceress known as Sithandria. As the rift between Tomoko and Saravok grew, a mage by the name of Sithandria had done her best to weasel into that position. She did not care for Saravok as Tamako did. She did not love him. Instead, she was willing to bed him to ride that giant of a man in order to gain strength and wealth. Abdel and his companions tracked down Slythe and Sithandria and killed both in combat. From each, they gained additional evidence. Abdel stormed the coronation, interrupting proceedings, and publicly discredited his brother. Overcome by rage, Saravok attacked in front of everyone. The Dukes, the Firefist, and Abdel all fought against him. Just as his loss seemed inevitable, Winsky Perorate arrived. He grabbed his student and quickly teleported away. Abdel followed after his brother, entering the maze of thieves' tunnels that existed beneath the city. There they found the corpse of Winsky, slain by Saravok. They also found Tomoko, waiting for them. The assassin had been sent to kill Abdel and ordered to sacrifice her life in the process if needed. This was the punishment ordered by Saravok for her early betrayal. Abdel did what most heroes do. He spared her, showing that Saravok was not worth throwing her life away for. Abdel followed his brother through a portal and back to the Forest of Worm. There, there, in the hidden Temple of Baal where their lives first intersected, they met once more. Aided by whatever allies that remained, Saravok attacked. It was a long and arduous battle between brothers, but Saravok was eventually slain, his essence of Baal returning to the gods' domain. No evil god stays dead for long, and this rule also applies to his ball spawn as well. A year after his death, when Abdel pursued the wizard John Arenicus into the abyss, he encountered a supernatural being that took Saravok's form. As with all ball spawn, an echo of Saravok was transported to Ball's realm after his death. This wraith Saravok possessed one of the tears of Baal and used it to provoke his half-siblings to transform into Baal's avatar, the Slayer. Saravok was defeated once again, 
yet a portion of his essence still remained. This essence manifested once more, this time in a pocket plane of Baal's throne of blood. When Abdel arrived, Saravak presented his divine sibling with a deal. If Abdel gave up a fraction of his divine soul, Saravak could live again, and he would travel with Abdel and aid in resolving the Baal spawn crisis. Remembering the promise he had made to Tomoko to try and redeem Saravak, Abdel agreed. The brothers traveled together and ended the crisis. Abdel did everything he could to save his brother, and for a while it looked like he succeeded. Saravak had even taken the path of good. But Ballspawn are long-lived kin. Nearly a century passed from the Iron Crisis to the day of Abdel's death. In that time, the two men had taken vastly different paths. Abdel took the position that Saravak once coveted. He became the Grand Duke of Baldur's Gate. Saravak, however, found life to be lacking. His divine spark was gone, and everything seemed pale and empty in comparison. The restlessness that once held his body and mind hostage was gone, but the euphoric calm he had once longed for was now no longer possible. No earthly achievement could compare to what he once almost held. The possibility of immortality and godhood was gone, and nothing could fill that void. Saravak fell into depression and vice, squandering his wealth and health on booze and drugs. On the day of Abdel's death, Saravak was little more than a homeless old man, begging in the streets of Baldur's Gate for coin or booze. In that well of despair, a familiar form appeared before Saravak, Baal, the god of murder. Back from the dead, the god was rebuilding his empire. He saw potential in his son. He made him the leader of his new cult and gave him a new purpose. Saravak would become his chosen, an agent of death and destruction, an avatar of murder. The tides are turning once again in Baldur's Gate. The city is on the edge of upheaval. Whispers of mind flayers have crossed the grapevine and reached my ears, as entire chunks of the city are threatened to be pulled into the hells of Avernus. I do not know what the future holds for Saravok, but in all of this chaos and danger, I wish for him to find some semblance of the calm he once had. Preferably from love and not murder, but that's just one librarian's romantic wish. It seems our tea has run out, which means so too has our time. Thank you, adventurer, for joining me in my library. Join me again for more stories and lore about the darkest villains from the darkest realm. This has been the Dastardly Decimal System, and once again, I am your librarian. Caster Kane. The Dastardly Decimal System can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at DD System Podcast. That's Delta Delta System Podcast. We are also on TikTok. Drop us a message and say hi. Vega always loves the attention. This podcast was produced by Midnight Reading Audio, a division of Midnight Reading Publishing. The voice of Caster Kane is Larry Gent. Hi. The voice of Vega the Cat was done by my cats, Zid and Vash. 
Music was Aperture de Acqui by Andreas Rodriguez at pixabay.com, licensed under the Creative Commons. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful, wonderful evening.